So uh, welcome to the second edition, second version of the um, the PSH Friday. We are very, very fortunate to have Joe Barry and Michael Corelli with us. Uh, they are both from Analog Devices. That ticker is ADI. It's a company that we love uh, here at Piper Sandler. Uh, Joe heads up the 5G communication side of uh, things. And Mike, I'm sure all you guys know Mike already. He heads up the IR for ADI. And I'm sure all you guys have talked to him. Uh, so with that, uh, guys, I'm going to turn it over to to Joe and Mike you guys for any kind of opening comments you might have or any overview you want to provide before we jump into Q&A. Yeah, sure. I think I'll walk quickly and I'll pass over to Joe. So I'm not going to do I'm not going to do much speaking on this. Um, Joe's the show. He is the guy that runs 5G. All my knowledge of 5G as good or bad as you may think it is actually has come from Joe. I've worked really closely with Joe probably over the past two three years um, since he's taken over the wireless role at ADI and he he knows the market, the customers very well. So I'll pass over to Joe to give you a quick overview of ADI's business and wireless comms. Um, for you on the lines, comms for us is 20, 25% of sales. Two thirds of that is wireless. Joe runs that two thirds of wireless. So we'll focus really today on the wireless piece and 5G. You can see a quick introduction of yourself and kind of your background and then we'll kick off to back to Harsh. Thank you, Mike. And, and first, uh, Harsh, thank you for the opportunity today. Uh, yeah, so I'm Joe Barry, I'm Vice President for our Wireless Communication Business Unit, as Mike has outlined. Uh, I'm a I'm kind of a lifer in ADI in the sense I've spent 25 years working in ADI in a number of uh, different roles, different uh, market segments. But I have about 10 years now focused on uh, communication infrastructure. Um, you know, through, you know, ADI is a long heritage in terms of comms, you know, going back over 40 years all the way back through the different Gs, 2G, 3G, 4G, and now most recently 5G. So my organization is really focused on, you know, the, the uh, infrastructure side, the uh, base station radio access networks that are deploying in 5G uh, today and into the future. So I think that's what we're going to talk about maybe more specifically today. Um, yeah, hey, thanks, Joe. So let me ask you, um, analog devices does a lot in a lot of different things in, uh, in, in 5G, and there's a lot of different parts to it. I guess my opening question to you is, could you maybe just very simply summarize for us, what is it that ADI analog devices provides for the 5G infrastructure side? Maybe an overview of just a quick products and, and what you guys are, you know, what you guys are, um, uh, I don't, don't want to say favoring, but what you think is super complex that you guys add a lot of value to. Yeah, so for the comms, particularly infrastructure, you know, we're very, for my piece of the business, we're very focused on the radio side of the of the network. So any any, any of the electronics, radio electronics, uh, are the different types of radios that go up on the mass for the base stations. Uh, we're essentially focused on, you know, solving some of the challenges in, in the requirements from, from operators in the markets and those. In terms of the products that we develop uh, in those, um, you know, primarily, um, you know, we've been investing in what we call a software-defined radio solutions, or our transceiver products. Uh, so those are a key component of what we're supplying into radios and have been for a number of years. You know, right now we're on generation six of that portfolio. Uh, we also have a lot of RF attached. Uh, we're bringing in and leveraging in the LTC power portfolio. So we're attaching power and some of the clocking and synchronization technologies. Uh, so very substantive um, amount of the electronics that you find inside these radios, these 5G radios are coming from, from my team and ADI. 
So maybe, uh, Joe, could you just maybe go a little bit deeper? May I ask you to go a little bit deeper into the software-defined radio? What is it? What does it do? How does it work? And why is ADI? Like we hear of ADI, you know, all day long in this technology. And there isn't, uh, I think there's maybe another one or two handful of players, but it seems to be really complex, which is why you guys excel at it. So what makes it so hard? What makes ADI so good at it? And what does it actually do? Yeah, okay, great question. So what makes it so difficult, I guess, you know, you have to kind of come up a level and look at, you know, look at the types of radios that are required, for example, in 5G. So, you know, traditionally uh, 4G radios were what we call four channels. So it's four antennas, you're transmitting on four different channels. But if you look at some of the new form factors of 5G radios, there's anything up to 64 channels um, required in the radio. Um, now the challenge what comes with that is, you know, it's a several challenges, but, you know, obviously from, you know, when you look at uh, a radio, it operates on a certain frequency and it has a certain amount of uh, bandwidth. And that's, and we refer to that as the spectrum that the radio is, is addressing. So one of the challenges is 5G has much wider spectrum. So you have wider bandwidths to deal with. You have greater density of the radio in terms of having trying to fit 64 channels in pretty much similar form factor uh, in terms of size and weight and power consumption that you did in a 4G radio, which is only four channels. So obviously the level of innovation that's required um, to really bring down the size, the weight and the power of those radios and to make them cost effective so that they can be de deployed by the MNOs, that's, that's kind of the, the top level challenge around the radios. So where ADI innovates, not to go too technical, but it, it's a fundamental component of our transceiver products is the architecture and how we build those radios. Um, and we use what's called a zero IF architecture. And that's built on core technology within ADI that's centered around our RF expertise and our converter expertise and how you can build you know, a very low power radio. Uh, and how you can get high levels of integration and density. Um, you know, today, we're shipping in very high volume four-channel radios. We're now, now, in, now out in the market with our eight-channel radios. Um, you know, and we've proven from, from generation to generation, we've been able to increase that level of integration. We've been able to deal with the challenges of increasing bandwidth, uh, reducing power consumption from generation to generation. And not only do we concentrate on the small signal component of the radio, but we also focus on some of the other material costs of the radio, like for example, non-active components like metal cavity filters or other passive components that you know impact on the challenge of size and weight, which ultimately drive cost of the radio. So we take a very holistic system view of the radio and how our technology can address some of those challenges in terms of you know reducing reducing for example the amount of metal that's needed in a radiohead unit because these these boxes typically have a large amount of metal that's required for cooling um, so we take out a lot of the additional requirements around metal um, and that that re, re, that helps our customers to build products that you know are, are more more in line with what their end customers need uh, Joe, Joe, one more, I promise last one on this topic, and then I, I am going to move on from this topic after this. So why are they called software-defined radio? Are you able to... Yeah, so, 
So obviously, you know, one of the challenges that, you know, equipment manufacturers that build radios, um, you know, if you look at the amount of radio form factors or skews of how many different types of radios they had to build for 4G, um, you know, it was probably in the 15 to 20 range. But when you look at 5G radios, the skew is just expanding. It's, you know, it's probably heading towards 200 different types of skews. Um, so what we were doing was focusing on that problem for our end customers and trying to tackle it from two ways, two important challenges. One was efficiency on their R&D. So how can, they, how, how can they manage a very complex skew with very efficient R&D? So that's where the software aspect of the platform comes in. Our radio is very flexible. It can be configured uh, in many different ways across the product SKUs. So making, making it much more efficient to, um, for the equipment vendors to actually build these products efficiently. And secondly, we also support you know, uh, down the road or in-field uh, software upgrades. So you, you build in some flexibility into the end product that it can be upgraded uh, in some cases um, in future as, as the needs um, uh, develop. Wonderful. Um, sticking to technology, um, so I heard recently about a term called ORAN, O-R-A-N. What is it? Is it significant, meaningful, or just a lot of kind of great question. acronyms? Or, or maybe talk about and how you guys are participating in it. What does it do for 5G for you? Sure. So maybe to draw a comparison with ORAN, <laughs> maybe is to go back and just look at Open Compute, that program. Uh, you know, what it delivered in terms of benefits which were, you know, much more flexibility and performance, uh, lower cost, which is obviously important for the MNOs in terms of their capex budgets, uh, and ultimately lower lower energy consumption, which drives their operating expenses. Um, so, you know, ORAN is really focused on trying to help with some of those challenges. Um, for ADI, you know, we are we see ourselves as a market leader in terms of the radio silicon solutions. Um, that we've established in the you know traditional infrastructure business over many years, we see that as ideally kind of positioning us to help support the technology that you know some of the new uh, radio uh, vendors um, require in the ORAN ecosystem. So ORAN is, you know, the best way to think about ORAN is, you know, the the significant change from from you know when you look at the architecture of ORAN say versus you know, what you're getting from the established tier ones today is ORAN is where they've taken the hardware that's used to build the radio access network and that's been disaggregated. And they've also taken the software and disaggregated the software. So that enables many different vendors to be selected to provide the hardware and ultimately similar on the, on the software. Um, so, um, you know, that's one of the important changes in ORAN. And, you know, our role is obviously to support, you know, the role we play in ORAN is supporting the ecosystem and the opportunities that that present for, um, for ORAN in general and for us. Great. So, so you guys are there, sounds like, um, and will be players when, <clears throat> when that flexibility arrives. Um, question on philosophy. How do you guys choose where you want to play in. There's so many things you can do, right, for 5G. You have the competency as a premier technology company. But what are some of the criteria, both technologically and for business, that, that determine where you choose to play and where you pass? Well, it's kind of, 
you know, this is part of KDI's overall kind of DNA in terms of how it looks at where it plays. And, you know, generally speaking, we're looking for some of the toughest problems to solve. And then when you, when we can bring our technology, the breadth of our technology portfolio to bear on those problems, um, you know, that's where we really see the value in terms of directing our R&D and our energies to develop products and platforms and solutions ultimately. So obviously in the context of 5G, we see some pretty, pretty tough challenges that are there um, that the, you know, the market needs, um, needs to address. And, you know, we've been able to, we feel we've been able to really help enable radios. Um, the technology that we're bringing to bear really has an enablement of how you can actually practically build these 5G radios. So quite challenging. Um, Joe, I had a question on, so 5G is pretty interesting because there's, you know, massive MIMO involved. So <clears throat> can you explain to me in simple terms the the multiplication of the opportunity? For example, you know, I've heard other companies talk about, hey, I used to sell one part here, but with massive MIMO, I can supply eight or, you know, whatever it is, four or 16 or 64. Maybe explain to me where that opportunity presents for ADI uh, to multiply what you guys have today. And then maybe if you want to just hit upon where are we today? Like, are we using, are we using mass and MIMO? Are we in two by two, four by four, you know, gen just generally widely deployed? Okay. okay. I'll come to the first part of your question first. Um, you know, what, you know, there's, what, you know, as to the question, what define, you know, what we see as defining uh, 5G uh, in the next, you know, today and probably for the next four or five years, really specifically to the radio uh, is really what we call massive MIMO. These very large um, radios that have, you know, anything up to 64 channels uh, inside a single radio. Um, now, when you, when you compare that to, you know, previous 4G radios, which were four channels, and, you know, obviously ADI, we're supplying four channel transceivers and, you know, the multiplication factor, if you're shipping a 64 channel is, you know, a factor of 16. Now we realize that, you know, you don't quite get, uh, you know, it's not a multiplication factor of 16 for ADI because there's the scales of economies and there's challenges that we have to solve there, but there's a significant, um, you know, multiplier for us in terms of content and value. Uh, okay, great. Um, and, and where would you, if I was to press you a little bit on this issue, where do you see uh, the the world today in terms of what, what is typically, are, are we at 64 already in most of the deployments? Or are we somewhat lower than that? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of ways of looking at what's happened in 5G. Um, so, you know, firstly, what's happening in 5G and what's happened this year and what happened kind of in the early half of 19 and what's going to happen maybe in 21 and 22 is really first you, you set a stage of looking at the availability of spectrum. So, you know, in regions like, for example, in Asia, in China, Korea, Japan, you know, decent, what we call mid-band spectrum and mid-band is, you know, there's three bands, there's low band, mid-band, high band. Mid-band is typically two and a half gigahertz to six gigahertz. Um, you know, in those Asia regions, um, you know, very significant amount of that spectrum became available to the operators. Um, if you look across the Atlantic into the U.S., you know, right now there's a, there's a significant shortage of mid-band spectrum. Now, I think the good news is that 
you know, there's a launch of CBRS, but there's a very significant C-band auction coming up on the Spectrum uh, day in December this year, which will uh, enable in going into 21 and into 22, the US to have, you know, very significant uh, mid-band spectrum. And then there's also, I think recent news, there's an announcement that a further 100 megahertz of spectrum will be made available to the US uh, in December 21. So that'll further fuel that mid-band uh, spectrum. And, you know, when you look across globally mid-band, that's the band that will deploy massive MIMO uh, radios. Um, and the reason for it is you get a very, you know, you, you get a good mixture of the kind of parameters around capacity. So mid-band spectrum, you can, you know, with massive MIMO, you can get 5X, the spectral efficiency on the radio. Uh, when you layer in, um, you know, the amount of spectrum that's available um, compared to 4G, you know, the data pipe that the operators can deliver to the subscribers is massively um, increased. Um, so it's very valuable um, spectrum midband. And thirdly, you know, midband gives you a very good coverage. So if you put up a base station uh, on midband, you'll get you know several kilometers or several miles of coverage. Now, the other spectrum that's available in 5G today and is coming online is what we call high band spectrum, which is often referred to as millimeter wave 5G. And that's typically anywhere from you know 24 gigahertz to just under 50 gigahertz. Now, the advantage of that spectrum is you know you get a very 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 fat pipe data pipe, so throughputs on the network can be you know tremendously high, 10 gigabits plus. The problem with millimeter wave is challenges around the economies in terms of cost of the radios. The other thing is the coverage is is pretty poor. You know you're lucky you might get 500 meters. Uh, coverage. So, um, you know, in the US, I think we've seen, re you know, through 20, there's been 5G millimeter wave deployments, um, mainly around fixed wireless access. Um, and that's because that's the only spectrum that's really available. But I think when you, when you start to see, you know, in the US and in other markets with, you know, proliferation of mid-band spectrum, that's really going to be, that's going to drive the types of radios that get deployed probably over the next five years. So what I'm really saying is that for the next five years, I think from my perspective, our ADI's perspective, we see kind of massive MIMO radios as being the main players in terms of the radios that will get deployed for the next four or five years. It sounds like the best is still to come later. Um, yes. Which is, which is great. Uh, question on, so you touched upon this earlier, you touched upon some, some other countries. Um, you know, the perception, if you ask like an average man off the street, you know, where is the U.S.? They'll say, well, we're way behind. If they know about 5G, they'll say we're way behind other countries, um, you know, particularly Asia. I'd be curious of your views on what you guys see globally. You know, where is U.S.? Where is Europe? Where is Asia? Are we really behind with any chance of catching on or are we not? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... You know, first, uh, I, I, I believe, you know, 5G, you know, is global in nature and will be adopted globally. Um, and, you know, obviously, when you look at it by geography or by country, the timing, um, you know, is going to vary. But I think in the, in the long run, what I'm saying is I believe that we'll see a very robust rollout of 5G globally in the next five years. 
Um, some geographies like China, for example, have been very uh, aggressive this year in terms of, you know, if you just look at the amount of radios they've put out in, in, into the network, you know, they're far ahead of anybody else. I, I think Korea also moved early to build out its, its 5G and Japan is just starting. But, you know, I would say go back to your other comment about US. I think the biggest difficulty US has had uh, in terms of timing has really been availability of spectrum. Now, I think with that spectrum coming online next year, uh, I think there's a very bright future for US market in terms of deploying 5G radios. And I think 21, 22 will really be a breakout year, I think in the US in terms of volumes and deployments um, by the operators. Um, that's kind of the global perspective um, I see now. The other, the other region to mention is Europe, and you know Europe has traditionally been slow. I mean, if you look at its 4G deployments, it's it's been it's been slower than than some of the other countries. And part of that problem is, you know, you've greater than 80 operators in Europe. So you have a fragmentation problem, you know, whereas in the US or China, you know, you have three or four big operators that have got very large scale. Now that said, you do have some large scale operators in, in Europe. Um, I am encouraged by what I'm seeing in Europe in terms of operator activity. Uh, there's also recent announcements, announcements from the EU in terms of the stimulus package that, you know, is valued at over greater than 3 billion um, euros. So that, that, those, those, I, th th I think that stimulus will help the operators to really, you know, get going on um, deployments in Europe. I still expect, though, you know, it's probably 22, 23 timeframe we'll we'll see Europe really um, deploying um, substantial volumes on 5G. But there will be activity, and there is activity this year, and there will be activity next year. Um, and Joe, in terms of. Um in terms of uh, politics and some of the noise you hear, I'll call it noise exactly that. Uh, do you think, and I asked this to Samsung as well, right before you guys, they had a session. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on do, do political noise, uh, does it actually affect the rate of implementation or is it just too strong and the benefits are too great uh, that this just forges ahead? Yeah, I mean, I won't comment on the political side of things. <laughs> necessarily, but I mean, you know, at, well, I think what we believe, um, you know, at a high level is that, you know, if you look at, um, you know, what 5G can offer globally um, to, you know, to the economies in terms of, you know, the development of each of their economies and the competitiveness of their economies, uh, I have the kind of fundamental belief that, you know, overall 5G will, is, is critical and 5G will deploy. And I think there's a focus on, you know, on deploying it in a, in a timely manner. Um, so, you know, obviously the political situation can disrupt that in terms of some of the timing, but I think the overall scale is still going to be what we all expect in terms of, there, there may be some short-term political um, impact on timing, but I think overall the scale will still be realized. What I typically say is not demand destruction. It'd be delays or push-outs potentially. On the flip side of that, because it's a bit political now, I think you're seeing, as Joe laid out nicely, 
a lot of acceleration in the U.S. with the spectrum auction. So I think U.S. because of what's going on in the world is accelerating their deployment and, and the spectrum auctions to become bigger in 5G faster than maybe they would have otherwise done. Um, great. Um, Joe and Mike, uh, on the topic of CapEx, and again, I asked this to Samsung, but I'm also curious about your views. Where is the money coming from? Is it just redeploying what was available for 4G and moving it to 5G? And, and why are these guys, the carrier level uh, folks, spending so much money or willing to spend so much money? Are they actually saving money in the process? Yeah. By going to 5G. So firstly, uh, maybe I'll answer the second half of the question first, because I think it, it helps to kind of set the context. Yes, I mean, you know, the big benefit of 5G for operators, apart from, you know, this need to provide more and more capacity to subscribers is to achieve um, cost savings, uh, both in terms of, you know, capital uh, outlay, but also running costs. And, you know, running costs for networks in terms are quite substantial. And, you know, um, electricity consumption, for example, is over half the running costs. So one of the, one of the, one of the, you know, big, attractions with 5G is that, you know, with the virtualization of the network, with the types of the way the network is actually built out, cloudification of, of, of large components of the network can be achieved now with 5G. Um, there are substantive savings in terms of running costs for the 5G network. So that's very attractive to, um, to operators. Um, to the first part of your question in relation to CapEx, you know, I, I don't, think we expect very significant increases in CapEx expenditure over time. But when you look at the way CapEx is spent by the MNOs or the, or the CSPs, um, you know, from our perspective, you know, uh, typically, uh, you know, it can be spread between the core part of the network it can be spread at the edge of the network or the RAN site, it can be spread around services, you know, it can be spent on acquiring expensive spectrum. But what we believe now is happening is once the spectrum is acquired, it only takes a small amount of CapEx diversion towards the radio to really drive substantial radio numbers. So um, we believe that's the way it's trending now. That, you know, but even at a, even at a, and I'll just, Kind of take an approximate number. Um, you know, if CapEx this year is 3% and it's 5% next year on radios, that's a very substantial increase in what gets applied to radios. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, now the other the other aspect of 5G, which you know is attracting a lot of uh, discussion and a lot of debate and a lot of interest, is these new uh, business models or you know, new opportunities for the, the telcos or the MNOs to monetize. You know, today, if you look at the revenue stream for an operator, it's, it's dominated by mobile subscription-based revenue model. What 5G promises, and there's a lot of discussion about this, is you know, enterprise, new B2B opportunities for the operators. Um, that's, I would say, in the emergent phase 
Um, there are some challenges, but there are some strong signals that suggest that you know things like private networks, 5G private networks, enterprise networks will become very significant. I read a report there last week which which said that you know the, the possibility is that in private networks you will see as many base stations being deployed in private networks as in public networks. So obviously that's a, that would be attractive because essentially that's 2x the SAM for ADI if that was to trans, transpire. But at, at least that's gaining a lot of attraction for the operators, this opportunity to create these new revenue streams. Um, that will, that will, that will, that has the potential to, to, you know, to generate even further investments in network build out. In a more Joe, Joe and Mike, are you guys seeing the, the private deployments happen or did COVID just sort of mess up the timeline for uh, the private folks, the uh, enterprise folks? Uh, I would say it's happening on a small scale. Um, part of the challenge here is, you know, the creation of the ecosystem that will, you know, you take an industrial example, so even industrial business within the industry, you know, industry 4.0, you know, you've got a lot of transformation, you know, modernization of factories, all of that going on. And then you layer in 5G and what 5G can bring. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's ongoing activity in that example where the ecosystem is coming together, developing, you know, the transformation solutions that are required to take advantage of the 5G technology. So that's emerging and I, I do see a lot of activity on that. But, you know, that, that industrial market is, tends to be you know, a little bit slower pace, but it's certainly going. Then, you know, you get into the broader markets, like, you know, there's a lot of activity in healthcare, um, in logistics, transport, agriculture, mining, you know, gas, oil, all of these businesses, there's emergence of potentially, you know, use of the technology um, in them, but it's it's emerging. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll say one thing from, like just it's emerging. COVID didn't really affect that part of the business. If anything, it has potential to accelerate it. As companies and countries are rethinking supply chains and, and re, if they want to reshore them or make them more, more robust, there's opportunities for a new factory to be built. And in that new factory, there's a higher likelihood because of COVID that 5G or wireless deployment would be instead of a wire deployment. But I would say it's probably at least five years out to be meaningful, just because like Joe said, you're talking about industrial markets. Even if they start today, it takes five years. Yeah. So, uh, so it's got long legs. I mean, both on the carrier side, uh, based yeah. on the earlier session and what you guys are saying, the whole thing seems to have very long legs. Yeah, I think that's the good news. You know, that you know, five G and its its development on the public side, you know, for the next five years is going to be very strong. And um, and then you know, the opportunities on on the enterprise side is, I think, you know, continue that on much longer than we've seen in terms of you know, how 4G peaked um, over, it'll be a much longer lifespan and, and a bigger, and a, and a, and a much bigger, um, a much bigger investment profile in the long run. I'm going to, I'm going to um, ask you one more on the radio side. Um, you know, when, is there, is it typical for analog devices or others in your field to see uh, radio upgrades? So let's say, let's say, you know, I deploy a 5G, um, network. Uh, five years from now, I want to add capacity. Uh, is the easiest way for me to do that is to add more radios and, and swap out the old ones from five years ago, put new ones by you guys? Uh, or do I just change the whole system? No, you can 
do you could do two things uh one it depending on, it all depends on the spectrum the new spectrum that you might acquire that you want to utilize um some of the radios are building now if that spectrum is near into the existing spectrum they can do a software upgrade on the radio but that tends to be not the con not not so common so typically what happens is they would either take down the existing radios and put up a dual band radio, or they would just go along and put up a second radio on the tower. But it's very much, you know, it, it varies. The deployment tactics vary from country to country and operator to operator. I got you. Okay. Um, and then maybe um, talk about this, this whole debate on sub six versus millimeter wave. Uh, do you have to have both? Um, do you think eventually the U.S. will have both on a, on a massive scale? Or what, I guess where is your uh, thinking on this topic? Yeah. So, so the way we think of, well, the way, way I think about it is that, you know, as I kind of said earlier, I, I think in terms of the economics and serving the kind of coverage and, you know, kind of more immediate capacity expansion, that operators need. Um, I think the mid-band spectrum, the sub-60 gigahertz spectrum, is, is the choice there. That's that, that's that's winning out. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, millimeter wave doesn't have a play. Uh, I definitely think it will have a play, but it's going to be a little later. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that millimeter wave addresses is obviously you know in those very dense urban or high population areas. You know, if it's cities, shopping malls, stadiums, these kind of environments where you need, you know, this this increased capacity, you know, very very high capacity. I think millimeter wave um, will be an important kind of component of the operator's toolbox in terms of how they provide the service to to their subscribers. So, you know, our expectation, I think, in summary, is that the vast majority of 5G deployments will be. In, in, in the sub 60 gigahertz bands for the next five years. So you're actually thinking that, um, that the timeline for millimeter wave in terms of real deployment is, is, is five years or past around yeah. that? There will be deployments and there will be ongoing deployments, but their okay. number I, I feel will be small relative to um, the sub six gigahertz radios. Got it, so it's a relative sort of thing. Um, cool, but that um, I don't have you know, too many more questions to ask. Um, you know, I, I am excited about what you guys said. Sounds like long legs. Sounds like you guys are in the right place. Um, and I'll turn it over to you, Mike, if you have any thoughts to, to cap this up. But, um, and, and then, you know, I really wanted to thank everybody for their time and you guys for your time. But Mike, if you have some, some closing comments, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, no, I think we're going to capture live view for us, what it means, why he's excited. I think his role at the company has become bigger and bigger. As 5G goes from just communications and handsets to more enterprise, I think the opportunities are there. The basis of all that is based on our technology with the transceiver and Joe laid out a good, good mindset of you need more and more transceivers. As you get more and more channels, you need more and more transceivers. If you pack more and more of that into the same form factor, there's more and more power issues. So it's almost a virtuous cycle we're in here for 5G and ADI and it, it was Joe and his team that led the charge. The transceivers were the first to market, and that being first to market has really helped. And now we're continuing to do more things and more innovation to try to drive other areas that we can take additional content and additional SAM in the radio. So we'll look forward to that in the future from ADI. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everybody that, that tuned in to PSS Friday today. Appreciate your time.
Thank you very much. Thank you. Gosh.